Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Ali Halajan on. Hello, Ali. How are you? Doing very well, Mike. Good pleasure to be here. Glad to have you here. You do some amazing work with Ion Energy. So why don't you share a little bit about you and the organization, then we'll dive right into the conversation. Absolutely. Um, my background uh, stems from asset management. I've been uh, the co-founder and chief executive of Ion Energy, which uh, trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange on the venture markets, uh, the OTC uh, QB market in the U.S., uh, and over in Frankfurt under ticker 5YB. I've been the chief executive uh, since uh, co-founding the company in uh, 2017. Our purpose is to explore and uh, de-risk various lithium assets in Mongolia. Uh, we sort of foresaw the clean green energy revolution um, and having sort of taken the company public since uh, August of 2020, uh, we've since been able to explore via drilling um, our Baba Yol license, which is an 81,000 hectare license, about 20 kilometers from the Chinese border obviously being relevant because China is the largest uh, consumer of lithium on the planet today. Uh, we continue to explore our assets. We continue to build a world-class team. And the intent is to ultimately bring on a strategic that allows us to take these assets to the next level and upend that supply chain in the Asian subcontinent. Well, lithium demand is just skyrocketing with you know the green energy movement, as you saw, and uh, even going public in in twenty twenty in the midst of a pandemic. How brave of you! But you know what? That's uh, you know we we've heard you know fortune favors favors the brave, basically, and you know the work that you're doing obviously is uh, pretty much pandemic proof in a way because. Uh, you know the need for it and finding and exploring is is so critical and even though we think we've you know it's like we're running out of resources it's like no we haven't even begun to scratch the surface and in the places that you find like you know mongolia for example you know that's not uh, a country that's top of mind for people going okay where would we find there you know a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know what kind of resources they have there so you know how did you come across you know researching there and, and the work that you're doing of course, I was, uh, as I mentioned, I was, I was in asset management for about 13 years, and uh, my roles span from uh, Toronto to Hong Kong and uh, London as well, where I worked on uh, various different initiatives, including mergers and acquisitions. I actually grew up in East Africa uh, until I was 18. I was living in Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, my father has been in mining since 1998 in Zambia, so you could say that it ran in my blood. Uh, when I left Invesco uh, around five years ago, I came back to Toronto seeking uh, employment at, at some of the other majors and was looking to move to Chicago, actually, to work for one of the world's largest uh, aluminum manufacturing facilities. And uh, a, a dear friend of mine and now business partner um, tapped on my shoulders and said, you know, I'm, I'm in the midst of taking a company public. Uh, that company is Step Gold. It's a Mongolian uh, gold uh, play that could potentially become a producer. And I value your skill set. I'd very much like you to come on as an advisor and help us through the process as an ex external outside consultant. Having been brought on and uh, having gone to Mongolia, 
Um, I recognize that there was a vast array of minerals uh, available in that country. It's uh, you know a million and a half square kilometers, uh, but only three percent of the company had uh, or the country had been explored. I thought to myself there might be an opportunity here for lithium, and I know that lithium will will sort of make a, a cyclical comeback, as do most elements. And so we went down to the uh, uh, the Ministry of Mining Archives, and we found that uh, in the fifties, the Russian government, when Mongolia was part of the USSR did some drilling very close to the Chinese border and they were able to extract uh, lithium brines. Uh, they had that assay, they had that sample, and that in itself was exciting to me because it was in the Gobi Desert. Uh, that climate very much mirrors what you'll find in the Atacama, uh, which is where you have the vast majority of the world's lithium brine resources today. And so on the back of that uh, review of that data, we went back to the government of Mongolia and asked them to put up these licenses for tender. We were awarded them in 2019, and then, as you rightly pointed out, in 2020, during the midst of the pandemic, uh, we were able to take the company public so we could actually start doing work on the ground. So that's sort of the background as to how we got into Mongolia. It's an amazing backstory that has obviously a deep history in that back in you know the USSR days and and all of that. And that's what's so intriguing, and the fact that you recognized, wait a minute, this this land, for lack of a better term mimics where you know majority of the lithium that's been mined or is currently being mined it's like that's almost identical which means wait a minute we may be able to do the same thing here so being forward thinking and and it's great that that you've got a a partner in the government that's willing to do this because i know and and i'm sure this is nothing new to you you know i hear stories time and time again where they, somebody knows like there's resources, whatever it is, lithium, gold, whatever. Uh, and they're like, wait, but they're in this land, but the government is very restrictive. They don't want to cooperate. They're like, no, we don't want to do anything with it. Uh, even though or they are thinking, well, we're going to do it for ourselves, but they don't have the technology and the wherewithal to be able to do it. So it's great that they are partnering with you in order for this work to be done. That's precisely right. Um, you know, Mongolia as a nation, 20% uh, of their GDP comes from mining. Um, 80 to 90% of their exports are from mining as well. So mining is a very important uh, part of their, their economy. And as a result of uh, a very rapidly growing skill set in country, there was still a gap that needed to be filled. And that's why the government of Mongolia is so inviting uh, to, to foreign companies to bring in their expertise, their leadership to help uh, ultimately develop the economy. So they've been a fantastic partner and we're very glad to be working with them. You know, and being aware of other investments and taxation and all of that stuff, how is Mongolia to work with from a, a taxation type of situation? They are fairly, uh, I'd say fairly light on the tax side uh, because they, they obviously value the fact that uh, we're bringing out those, uh, those uh, minerals, if you will, or, or we're exporting those minerals and adding to the GDP. Um, one of the, the programs that's worth uh, anybody that might be curious if they'd like to look into it, it's called the Gold 2 program, whereby if you're developing or, or extracting gold from uh, Mongolia, you can sell it to the central bank at minimal tax rates and you get paid in less than 24 hours. So they are very uh, friendly as a jurisdiction uh, as far as ensuring that taxation is low um, and that you're able to actually execute um, on your promises to not only yourselves, the government, but ultimately your shareholders as well. I think that's what's so enticing for you know many investors and people that are looking to relocate, not just from a work standpoint, but from a way of life is 
the taxation situation, and we see it in a lot of countries, obviously, in the United States, that's a huge issue. Canada is, as well. Uh, it seems like that there's just more and more taxes on things where there's countries that recognize, hey, we can cover our expenses by what we do in creating an environment to allow businesses to be able to use our resources, mine it, create exports. So we're getting enough revenue where we don't have to start charging exorbitant taxes. And we will see as time goes on, the countries that do that are going to be the ones that are going to thrive and the ones that want to tax people and organizations uh, to the nth degree. They're going to see mass exodus of things. And it's going to be an interesting thing to watch as we continue to evolve and grow and more green energy, more innovation, more things that are coming about from mining, not just, you know, from lithium, but other things as well. You know, it could be cryptocurrency or whatever the case may be. We're, we're seeing that those nations that are more open and saying, you know, we're going to get our share of, of this and work, but we don't need to make it so cumbersome that it, it's impossible to do any work. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, it, we talk about taxes and how they're going up um, as far as building a good jurisdiction to do uh, uh, business in. And we look at uh, what's happening in Canada and the U S and a lot of the developed uh, world. Uh, the economies have had to, to sort of inject uh, a big amount of capital uh, to keep the economies afloat as a result of the pandemic. And the other side of that is that they're incentivizing the clean green energy revolution through that expenditure. So they're subsidizing the cost for electric vehicles uh, by printing vast sums of money, allowing the adoption rates of these electric vehicles to go up, the demand for lithium to go up. But in, in, on the flip side, in due course, inflation will, will catch up to that. And ultimately, you will have taxes uh, increased in these countries. So uh, the pandemic, I think, has taught us uh, a number of things. One, that the government does have swaying power or spe enough spending power to sway uh, the decisions of uh, the regular consumer. And I think it's about time that we made these changes because obviously the environment is suffering. Uh, but it is one that I think uh, we, we have to be wary of uh, future generations and how they may be impacted uh, by what's going on in the world here today. Yeah, every step has a ripple effect, whether it's deficits or the high inflation, or you know, I think, quite frankly, most importantly, is the environmental impact that we are creating, and we see it with weather patterns and you know tsunamis and volcanoes exploding in the ocean, and and you know the ripple effect of that in the Pacific Ocean, you know, a few weeks back, was alarming uh, to say the least, and we know that what we're doing and how we're living is creating a lot of challenges. So the green energy, the lithium, and, and moving away from what we've been doing so we operate in a cleaner state is going to, one, save our planet, number two, create a lot, a lot of opportunities for innovation and other things that we can use this, uh, you know, these types of commodities and metals and everything else for to, uh, again, you know, make our life a better place across the board. Yeah, I would agree with that. And what one would argue, and I know you've written a book, Michael, uh, Burnout Proof. So uh, I know the topics behind it, and I think it's very relevant given the pandemic and being a business leader as well. Uh, one might say that the world is burning out <laughs> with uh, with what we've been doing to it, uh, with, with the explosions and the tsunamis and what have you. So uh, 
I, I think it's really just let's learn from from what we've done. Uh, let's ensure that we're putting our best foot forward. Let's ensure that we're building teams that that understand that culture uh, and are able to truly make a change um, as far as uh, the way we continue our path in the future. So, where do you see your organization, you know, Ian, in the next, I'd say, you know, two to five years? I'm not asking for the five year plan. It's, no, of it, course. If, if, if five years ago, I don't think any of us would have said, oh, yeah, we'll be in, you know, entering the third year of a pandemic. There'll be like a third year of a what? Yeah. So, <laughs> we didn't, we, I don't think anybody had this on their business plan. Um, other than, other than Wimbledon, as far as their insurance policy, that I always found that kind of intriguing that they had a pandemic insurance policy on the book. So when they had to cancel Wimbledon in 2020, uh, the insurance company paid them, I think, $30 million or something ridiculous because they had a, an insurance policy on that for years. And uh, you know they, they were able to uh, withstand some of the losses of not having the, the tournament. So I'm just curious to see you know, where you see things coming in the next couple of years. That's, that's incredible. Uh, story. I will have to look that up. I think that's genius. But uh, where we see ION in the in the coming years, uh, we're looking to to forge strategic relationships. I think it's important that we do so as we continue to understand our assets. Uh, you know, we we raised a bit of money last year that allowed us to to kick off a more uh, extensive exploration program. It allowed it allowed us to cover the vast majority of a, an asset that is almost five times the size of Vancouver. Uh, gave us a good understanding of where the hotspots are, and now the next stage in our operation uh, over the course of this year uh, would be to add some uh, some some uh, experts in their field, uh, allow us to expand our exploration programs in the country, whereby we're using very specific techniques to understand the quality of the lithium as well as uh, how much of it there is in the ground. Um, and then we'll bring on a strategic partner to help us better understand the development um, of those assets and how you would potentially extract that lithium. Uh, the intent is over the next uh, two to five years to bring in a strategic investor or two uh, that hold either a board seat, uh, a good chunk of the company, and would ultimately work with us uh, to define an exit for us and our shareholders, whereby they would take on the assets and bring them to production, allowing us to move on to the next uh, uh, the next project in our life cycle. It's important to have good strategic partners, you know, whether it's to bring on skills that your organization doesn't necessarily have or want to do. You know, there's, you know, a lot of times in organizations, like in your situation with your background, yeah, there's a lot of things that you could do, but does it make sense for you to do all of those things? It's like, no, let's, let's outsource if we can use that phrase, or let's partner up with other organizations that thrive and do really well in that aspect of things that can help us either get into new markets or to strengthen what we're doing uh, in our own organization or just you know, access exactly the right. things that we want. Yeah. And I think exactly I mean, right. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, they they think, well, I'm I'm the one that has to do it all. It's like, no, no, you're not. It's like your growth is limited by you. Exactly and, right. And yeah. you, you're going to hit a plateau if you don't expand out and, and partner up with you know like-minded organizations or we're, in arenas that you need to get into we're essentially if you, if you look at us from uh, you know a, a millennial point of view we're essentially a startup but we're in the mining space a space that's generally led by by older caucasian men uh, but here we are starting a, a a mining project which is essentially a startup uh, from the ground up we're looking to grow this into something that would upend the supply chain in that region but we absolutely recognize the limitations of our abilities. 
And that's why we would need to partner with a strategic that has, you know, a multi-billion or a hundred billion dollar plus market cap and the intellectual capital necessary uh, to bring assets such as these to production. So we absolutely recognize that gap. We've never gone out to market saying that this is something that we're going to bring to production. Uh, it's not something we've done. It's not something we would know how to do. But bringing in those strategic um, uh, partners as well as hiring the right people would allow us or, or bring us closer to the path of getting there. So, so we do recognize our limitations. Yes, and you know, to pick on Tesla for a moment, you know, there's going to be other organizations that are going to be using, you know, lithium and not just you know, obviously cars, but all kinds of other devices as well. So, there's a ton of opportunity out there. So, finding those avenues and and working with organizations that serve those organizations, it it just creates you know rapid growth. And I, I look at it, it's like I I know you've been busy you're going to get much busier. Uh, it's just, it, we know with the writings on the wall, you know, there's government mandates for it. You know, the U S is, you know, pushing, you know, with president Biden's uh, drive for things. It's like, we're trying to get away again, going back to making mother earth healthier and, and we need to utilize, excuse me, utilize you know, the technology available and the mining capabilities and everything else to improve our world and the work that you're doing is doing just that. Yes. And, and, you know, I appreciate that, Michael, for you to have that vision, uh, you know, mining sometimes is, is touted as a dirty word, uh, one that's doing more damage to the environment than good. Um, unfortunately for everything that uh, the, the world requires today, <clears throat> mining is, is, is inescapable. Uh, I mean, oil and gas is not going to go away anytime soon, simply because of the amount of plastic that we use, uh, let alone, you know, the vehicles of the aviation industry and, and, and everything else. But uh, the amount of plastic that we use requires oil. That's where plastic comes from. So oil is not going to go anywhere. Um, the lithium mining side uh, is very important. And I think that's going to continue to 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 provide what's necessary to go to this greener future. But you can do things sustainably. You can leave the environment in the best possible state than uh, after you you have extracted those minerals, and I think that's important to take note of uh, that everything we we do and everything we plan to do would would have a big uh, ESG mandate attached to it, whereby you leave that land just as well as you found it or better yeah, in some cases. And if you look at uh, you know Tesla is an is a household name uh, that resonates very well with uh, this side of the world uh, and now in Asia as well with uh, gigafactories being built across China. Um, the Gigafactory 1 in, in China put out a, a Tesla Model 3 in 364 days, shy of a year. They broke ground and they put out that first vehicle on the supply line uh, within 364 days. They're now building four other Gigafactories in that region. But it's important to note that China, always being viewed as this massive polluter, um, is also moving towards this clean green energy revolution. Um, they currently sell more EVs per capita than anywhere else in the world. Uh, the producers, the local Chinese producers, NIO included, sell more vehicles than Tesla does um, around the world. Yet China today is importing the vast majority of their lithium from Australia or from Latin America. What better way to cut the environmental footprint than to provide lithium from 20 kilometers across the border? And that's what ION intends to do, is check off the ESG mandates by not only empowering this clean green energy revolution, but reduce the overhead and, and the, the carbon footprint necessary to bring in the lithium to the, the economy that requires it most. 
Yeah, it's great to hear that China's moving towards that just because the the mere size of of their population and their country and having them move, you know, to a greener way of living is going to have a positive ripple effect all across the globe and you know, it provides inspiration, you know, for other countries and I know a lot of countries are doing it. They're taking stock and things and you know reducing you know single-use plastics like you know in canada for example which i'm sure you're familiar with you know they're you know a move to eliminate the you know single-use plastics at restaurants and and things like that so i remember ordering food the other day and uh they they had bamboo you know forks and cutlery and i'm, I'm looking at it and like it, it it surprised me at first but then i go oh okay well there you go and you know of course the straws and, and all that other things it's those little things and like well, what's the big deal it's like yeah but when 33 million people are consuming this stuff on a daily basis it's just in canada excuse me 37 million in canada now you know you, you start and then the united states you know well over 300 million using single-use plastics all the time we start cutting back that all of a sudden we start seeing a little bit healthier lifestyle and it makes earth cleaner it keeps our waters clean and all the things that we're doing all of these steps are they may seem small but they're huge as far as the ramifications are concerned so it's it's great that you know you're you know one of these advocates out there that's doing something to help make earth better and obviously improve the way that we do things across the globe. Indeed, I think, you know, ultimately you want to get your hands into something that uh, is making an impact, uh, but we are in, in, in the business of making money for, for others as, as you, you have to be if you're a public company and I think, and ourselves, we're, we're big uh, shareholders in our company. Uh, we've uh, participated in, in every sort of financing of every round of our organization. Uh, we control about 25% of all shares outstanding, yet we're fully escrowed. Um, and that's by design. I think we believe in what we do enough, as do the investors that uh, we've, we've continually brought on. Uh, and we see this as an opportunity uh, to truly provide for that clean green energy revolution, all the while uh, making our investors some money alongside with us uh, as, as we progress through the journey. It's a great way to do it because when the people that are working in the organization are invested in the organization, uh, that shows that you believe in what you're doing and that demonstrates value to the investors around the globe. So love this conversation. Where can people find out more about you and this awesome work you're doing at ION? You can uh, visit our website at uh, www.ionenergy.ca. We're also on the vast majority of the social media platforms. LinkedIn's a great way to get in touch with us as well. Uh, alternatively, feel free to contact me directly. My contact details are on our website, and I'm one of those rare individuals that uh, responds to every email and every phone call. Well, I appreciate you in doing that, and also thank you so much for being on the show today. Really loved our conversation today and continued success. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.